0: From producers matt damon and ben affleck explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of sarajevo thanks in part to humanitarians and the band youtube kiss the future new documentary now streaming exclusively on paramount plus go to paramount plus to try it free terms apply paramount plus and the national park foundation present a mountain of zen are you still listening good take a deep breath you needed a break This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. Welcome in, everybody, to the flagship podcast. Good to have you back. If you're a newcomer, well, welcome. I am Chip Brown of Horns247.com, joined. As always, by my esteemed colleague, the one and only Eric Henry of Horns247.com. And Eric, uh, we always go full disclosure here. We're recording on Wednesday, February 21st. And we are um, a month out to spring football, which uh, begins on March 19th. We will have uh, some... Uh, thoughts on that here in a second. We'll also talk some Texas basketball as we head into the home stretch of the regular season. Uh, but we did have significant breaking news since our last podcast. That would be the new contract for Steve Sarkeesian, who we learned back on January 13th would be getting a four-year extension um, thanks to a Regents meeting that is going on probably right now as we speak, the agenda for that meeting included details of Steve Sarkeesian's contract, which uh, will take his salary from $5.8 million. Uh, he was scheduled to earn in 2024 to $10.3 million, putting him at number three among uh, salaries for college football coaches behind Dabo Sweeney at Clemson, who makes 10.88 million, and Kirby Smart uh, of Georgia, who makes 10.7 million. Sarkeesian's 10.3 million will put him just ahead of Ohio State's Ryan Day at 10.27 million. Um, you know, Eric, the timing could not have been better for Steve Sarkeesian with nick saban retiring when he did at alabama uh, because steve sarkisian was a candidate for that alabama job that means leverage but 10.3 million um the two coaches ahead of him have won national championships and plural they have each won two steve sarkisian the highest paid coach without a national championship your thoughts It's funny, Chip. Some of the conversation,
1: and first off, always great to be back on the horn with you talking. A little Texas everything, like you mentioned here on an overcast Wednesday afternoon here in beautiful Austin, Texas, downtown Austin, Texas. But yeah, um, a lot of the conversation that I've seen uh, online on social media is Steve Sarkeesian becoming part of the $10 million club, a very uh, distinguished group of coaches in that regard. And that to your point, those are all coaches who have won national championships outside of Steve Sarkeesian. The obvious question is, is he worth it? Right? That, that That is the question that I've seen speculated and bantered about. And guess what? I'm here to tell you, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, kids, when it comes to contract negotiation, listen, this is something that Chip has much more Experience than I have. Okay, Chip is a big money ball player. He he's that high price free agent that you bring in. I I, I don't have this type of experience. What
0: I've been told, we're we're both in you know, journalism. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll remind you, Eric. <laughs> what,
1: what I've what I've been told is that when it comes to negotiations, it's not necessarily a matter of what you're worth as much as what you can command and what the market says that you can command at that point in time. Chip, Steve Sarkeesian's value to this program, again, you are much more equipped. And I'm not talking about, you know, I'm joking aside from the money thing. I'm just talking about from your time covering Texas. You're much more equipped to talk about this than I am, but he is a legitimate national college football face of a program, someone who you can put out there and say, that's our guy. And now that the wins back up everything else that comes with it in terms of his pedigree, his history, having been under Nick Saban, having worked at SC, you know, having been in the NFL, Steve Sarkisian is absolutely worth that type of salary that he commands. So that is the big thing. I know we're going to go through some of the perks, some of the details uh, of that contract here in a second, but just my initial instantaneous reaction is, yeah, he's worth every penny. What he has been, I mean, listen, I've been here now seven months, but for the purposes of uh, a football season, I've been here a year. Right. And I know what the conversation was not only here in Austin, but, you know, kind of just amongst the college football space, as far as what Texas was, you go back prior to last year and we know what it is now it's taken a step forward. And again, you can even uh, multiple, uh, a major step forward, and you can speak about what it was, you know, three years ago to when he got the job and even uh, coming off a of five and seven. Right. So uh, all those things in totality. Yeah. There's no doubt
0: in my mind that he is worth every penny. Yeah, I think what um the fact that he just has not made many sideways steps since the offseason following the 5 and 7 year three straight top 5 recruiting classes, uh the best offensive line recruiting class in 2022, um the analysts he's brought in from Gary Patterson um you know to uh Joe D Camillus and uh, Paul Christ, um, Payam Sadat. He's got. Uh, he's you know clearly got um, you know the respect of other former head coaches, and and more importantly, I think he's been transparent with his players to the point where he's not losing guys. He doesn't want to lose to the transfer portal, which is a lot in this day and age. Because we know it and it look, it's good to be a have. Texas is a have. They they have NIL dollars to to bring in players like AD Mitchell and Isaiah Bond and Matthew Golden and Andrew McCuba. Um, but you've gotta you've gotta build a culture where your players become your best recruiters, and I think he's done that. Um and he delivered when he was supposed to deliver. He laid it out there preseason. We think we can win the Big 12. That's our goal. And they went out and won the Big 12 and reached the college football playoff. And so the momentum is squarely on his side. Now, we thought Texas had momentum in 2018 when Tom Herman took Texas to the Sugar Bowl and they beat Georgia. And then in 2019, it was another, you know, Eight and four, eight and five type season, or eight nine and four, sorry, um, type season. So uh you gotta keep you gotta keep it going. And he came out on signing day. We talked about this a little bit last week. Said he was borderline obsessed with winning a national championship, and that's music to fans ears. I noticed in the you know winter conditioning workouts, the players are wearing t-shirts now that say obsessed, and And that he's going to have to have that because they took a lot of pride in building the five-star culture to go with their five-star talent this past season, Um, kind of voicing that the loudest after that Iowa State win in Ames. Um, But you lose Bo Davis as your defensive line coach. You lose a bunch of, you know, 11 players are going to the NFL Combine. That's a lot of talent that has to be replaced. So, um, but I, I think, and look, I think Texas has tried to be pragmatic about this. They didn't, ex- they didn't give them a 10 year extension. It's, it's seven years now it's 74.2 million, all guaranteed. Uh, but I think, That tells you just how much the leadership of Texas believes in this guy as a person. Remember, they got rid of Tom Herman because they didn't like Tom Herman the person. His results on the field were okay. Tom Herman the person was not okay in their minds. They didn't think he was a leader of young men. So, um, yeah, I, I think this was the right move, and it was not unexpected. I think Texas fans saw that and said, okay. All right, this makes sense. Um, here's the perks of being Steve Sarkeesian, Eric: uh, two dealership cars, um, twenty hours of private aircraft use for for personal use, um, UT golf club membership, uh, twelve tickets to all home games. Uh, with the opportunity to purchase up to 20 tickets, the use of a suite for every home football game with the premium parking that goes with it, Um, up to eight tickets to away football games, and up to six tickets to all home sporting events for other Texas sports. Um, How's that sound
1: to you? Let me ask you this, because I, 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 as you ran through it and as I'm taking a look here, I kind of asked myself, what is the most appealing perk right I mean you know could bring the listeners behind the curtain we were kind of bantering you know 20 hours of private aircraft time for personal use seems like that would be the draw but 20 hours you know it depends right that kind of leaves you domestically um in my mind right if you're gonna if you're gonna get the most out of those 20 hours uh the two dealer cars that that sounds interesting now, the one that I I wanted you know your opinion on is the UT golf club membership I mean is that the best spot to play a couple rounds
0: play a couple holes in in uh in, in Austin it's a good spot okay it's good spot plus you're probably gonna bump into Jordan Spieth every once in a while Scotty Scheffler so yeah that's a that's a good spot that that was you talk about the ultimate kind of sweetheart deal um the uh the two Texas boosters who made that happen uh, a guy named Bill Duvall um, and Mike Myers owned all that property out there uh near Lake Austin. It's it's in Steiner Ranch, but it has a view of Lake Austin. And instead of this is how much they love the university, instead of building high-end homes on that property and selling them for a fortune, <laughs> I could imagine, they built the University of Texas Golf Club and gave the school the right to own it. Now, I don't know if this was the right move or not by Texas, not to take that ownership. Um, But prime real estate only available because they have two mega boosters who love the university. So yeah, UT golf club. That's a good membership. That's that's a, that's a good spot. Um, Also, Steve Sarkeesian's performance incentives go from $825,000 max to $1.85 million max. uh, $300,000 for a conference championship, Eric. uh, $250,000 for reaching the college football playoff. Remember, it goes to 12 teams, and they just approved a 5-7 format. We'll touch on that in a second. Um, $500,000 for reaching uh, the quarterfinal. 750,000 for reaching the semifinal, a million for reaching the championship game, 1.25 million for winning the national championship. Not bad.
1: I mean, those performance escalators chip that. Listen, you talk about the man being obsessed with winning a national championship. And I'm not saying that he was any less obsessed prior to this contract, but those escalators will give you a reason to be even more obsessed because I, I I don't know, you know, we aren't privy to what is in, uh, you know, other coaches contracts, but I'd be willing to speculate that if he indeed does achieve the ultimate goal, probably looking at the highest paid coach in college football,
0: at least for a one year period. And that is impressive, Chip. All gas, no brakes. Straight to the bank, baby. Um, yeah, and uh, raises for the coordinators. So, um, P. Kwiatkowski goes from $1.7 million to $1.8 million. Um, Kyle Flood uh, got a year added on to his deal he's scheduled to make 1.325 million this season um that salary goes up uh in the in the next couple of years and then Jeff Banks uh, is at 1.1 million and will go up um i think 150,000 each year uh, through uh, the 26 season 24 25 26 and i think we'll get the Deals for the other assistants here soon. But um, that's what the Regents are taking on during this during this meeting. Um, winter conditioning continues, Eric. Um, as we said, we're counting down to spring football. And uh, before we get to your preview of the quarterback room going into spring ball, um, Ethan Burke is a guy I'm hearing good things about. Uh, Hearing that he's, you know, kind of reshaped, remaking his body uh, has, you know, we know he has the great length, but uh, in his first year as a starter, he leads the team in sacks. He had five and a half sacks, second on the team with nine and a half tackles for loss. But he is the highest rated returning run defender uh, for the Longhorns in 2024 after the departures of, you know, Tavondre Sweat, Byron Murphy, Jalen Ford. So Ethan Burke, uh, I I think this guy has a high ceiling, and I think he's still kind of just getting his legs under him as a football player after being a highly recruited lacrosse player up until about his, you know, freshman, sophomore year in high school when football kind of became a passion he said he he ended up falling more in love with the physical nature of football even more than the physical nature of lacrosse his dad is a former professional lacrosse player who is the Westlake High School lacrosse coach and I think Ethan Burke is a is a, a guy to watch I mean I think he's just kind of scratching the surface how about you Chip, this always stood out to me uh, about
1: Ethan Burke. When we'd see him, we'd get him for media availability. And, you know, again, uh, bring the, the listeners behind the curtain. You know, the, the guys simply coming in their own clothes and they'll change into a Texas polo and whatnot and get ch- a chance to see. Yeah, those guys <laughs> are
0: walking around campus in those burnt orange shirts. I
1: mean, <laughs> it's true. Um, and Um, You can just see some of the guys and, um, you know, Burke is someone who just kind of is gangly the 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 appropriate word you know i mean listen yeah. not that he not that lanky. he is not a l- lanky yeah N- not that he is not a you know an impressive athlete right but this is a kid who looks you know long and and and, and not necessarily the most i don't want to say that i'm no most physically built I mean, he's, he's an impressively sized kid but he's not walking around like for example chip the flashback to last week's podcast he ain't walking around like byron murphy you know Cut up with a six pack at at, at at this point his career, right? So to hear Ooh. your report, to hear your report about Burke kind of progressing physically and reshaping his body, that's encouraging because you talk about a kid who's a legit, what six six ish? Yeah, six six. six. Ball, he's probably closer six, to six seven. Six seven, right? So if you can get him, eighty three inch wingspan, and with that type of length, he's a kid who I could easily see. Now, of course, it depends on you know how that affects him on game days, right? And in terms of athleticism, but if he can get up to 270, 275, I mean, I, I, again, I don't know necessarily how that would affect his, his quickness, but if he can maintain his his ability at that playing weight, you're talking about a monster on the defensive line. And to, net, to transition to your second point in terms of the run defense, yeah, again, listen. Uh, now, part of the, the pro football focus thing is gets tricky, right? Because in grading, especially a, a, an edge player, right? Uh, especially when grading them against the run, Some of that is fundamental football, right? How much do they seal off, you know, their area and kind of force guys inside, right? So you're sure part of that grade is, you know, making sure you're forcing guys inside to Sweat Murphy and others. But just in terms of sheer ability as a run defender, right? If he can package that with his overall game, that's huge. And especially given the losses in the middle, right? If you can get progression from he and Baron Sorrell, just even if it's it's not necessarily, uh, you know bull rushing a a left tackle or a right tackle and making a play on the run if it's if it's incrementally progressing at those fundamental things that you ask your defensive ends and your edge players to do in the run and run support that's huge but yeah i mean physically speaking if he can take that next step and be a game wrecker i mean it's 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 look out
0: yeah and i i think baron sorrell and ethan burke probably don't get the credit um I mean, obviously, Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy were the heart and soul of that run defense that was ranked number three in FBS, giving up only 82.4 yards per game. Um, but you knew because of their presence inside that runs were going to be forced outside. And Sorrell and Burke did a much better job in 2023 of setting the edge and containing teams running games than we saw in 2022 when Ovia Gofu um, was at one of those ends and uh, Baron Sorrell was at the other and that they, you know, that's a big reason why they were the starters. Now on, you know, in passing situations, you might see Burke come off the field, Anthony Hill move up Um, depending on what Colin Simmons can do as an early enrollee who his mom says he's already put on 20 pounds, um, which is good because if he wants to be an every down player, he is going to have to take on those tackles and set the edge in the run and be able to shed and, and make the play. So um, otherwise he'll be a situational guy, which is not bad either. So it, it will be fun to watch in the spring as, because that's kind of a loaded, there's depth there. I mean, when you talk about guys like Justice Finkley and Jamon Tap, and um now you bring in Colin Simmons, so um let's see who who steps up and and you know, do they continue with a four man line? Do they change things up uh you know we'll we'll have to see they had it it's been a strength of Texas. The interior guys, and I think they still have enough interior guys where they would be a four man line, but um, it's gonna be fun to watch and it's gonna be fun to watch the development of both Sorrell and Burke because they, you know, Burke had big plays and big games, which is what you like. You know, two sack or two tackles for loss against Alabama. A fourth quarter sack against Alabama. The two sacks against K State, including the strip sack that led to a Texas touchdown in a game that went into overtime. And Texas won 33-30. He had a sack in the Houston game. That was a one possession game sack in the TCU game. You know, it wasn't like he piled up sacks against Rice and and Wyoming. He did it in the big game. He had a half tackle for loss against Washington in the, uh, in the college football playoffs, So um, that's what you want. Like, you know, I look at Trey Moore, Trey Moore comes in from UTSA, but Trey Moore didn't, you know, all those sacks, he didn't have any against Tennessee. He didn't have any against Texas. He had a lot against some of the lower teams uh, in, in UTSA's conference. So, um, and Trey Moore is another guy coming in who, you know, there's expectations for. So, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be interesting. And I like the fact that Ethan Burke watches Max Crosby film with the Las Vegas Raiders. Cause they kind of look alike. Like they're both gingers. They're both really lanky. Like you said, and Max Crosby, to me, he was the, he was the defensive player of the year in the NFL last year. So, um, all right, let's move on. We mentioned quarterback. We got to get to the quarterback. Uh, Eric has written a um, uh, part of a series position inventory we're doing over at Horns 24 seven Eric uh, tell us about the Texas quarterback room heading into spring football.
1: I mentioned it in the piece. I think if I were a Texas fan, this is probably the most confident you have to feel in this room in a long time i mean going back to sam ellinger and in terms of the def uh, it, listen I, I said arguably but if i really you know you, you, you held my feet to the fire and i had to make the case for it i could say this is the most talented quarterback room in the nation here's some of the highlights and again you go know, go out and check it out horns247.com you know it's it's a free read you know we're trying to throw a couple freebies out there let the folks get a feel for what we're doing over at horns247.com but here are some of the highlights in my mind chip one This has to be in terms of the both short-term outlook and long-term outlook for the position. The best case scenario for Steve Sarkeesian. You you, you rewind this time last year, you're going to back into a quarterback room in which Quinn Ewers is looking to lock down the quarterback job fighting against Malik Murphy and incoming Arch Manning. He did just that, which obviously kind of propelled him into the season he had last year. Now entering year three, playing for Steve Sarkisian. There's no reason in my mind to, to, to believe you can get anything other than a player who's going to continue to progress and take the next step and really go from, and I think chip, you, you'd be equipped to speak to this. You know, this offense, it was clear that for anything you want to nitpick with Quinn, as far as you know, maybe not getting the most out of the deep ball, right. With guys like AD and Xavier worthy and others, the overall efficiency of this offense ran best when Quinn yours was getting the ball out of his hands doing the things you need to do as far as keeping the offense moving, right? Getting the ball to hands of your playmakers. And and, and when you talk about it, it, I almost hate it, Chip, because in this, the, the football environment we're in right now, it feels like we kind of have this dichotomy, right? We talk about quarterbacks either as game changers or game managers, right? And then the way we talk about Quinn, inherently you say, all right, if he's not completing the deep ball to high clip, somehow that makes him a game manager. No, like game manager is delivering the 15-yard strike. And having, you know, being in sync with your receivers and taking the plays that are there, that, that Brock Purdy, you could say, is, is a game changer by based on just doing those things in itself. Game manager, in my mind, is someone you say, hey, just don't lose it for us. Quinn yours is someone who goes out and, as shown by his performance in the Alabama game, in the Iowa State game. His best performances came against top-tier competition, someone you can go win the game with. But anyhow, I digress into the short-term outlook. Quinn, obviously, that was the the best-case scenario. So now what that's done is that buys Arch Manning, someone who clearly, as he stated, when the media contingency, and contingency is probably an understatement, he had the Sugar Bowl media mob. Mob, yeah, probably a, a better phrase. He's content being in Austin as a college kid, playing for the Longhorns, having another year of development in playing for Steve Sarkeesian, right? He, he's happy as could be. He is not someone who's, you know, pining for the transfer portal. So you combine those two things together, Chip, that means the long-term outlook for this position. You've got it solidified in my mind. You got to think at least for another three years, if not more, because, you know, you're going to get Quinn yours. And should he depart for the NFL after this, then you get at least, you know, in my mind, you think two years of Arch Manning in this position. That type of long-term stability and and solidifying of the position, Chip, not only allows you to build around that position, but when you go in recruiting, in the transfer portal, you don't have to say, I mean, Chip, how many teams around the nation? We've seen it. You know, Sometimes teams bring in two and even three quarterbacks in a cycle, right, in in an effort to find one guy that they can depend on. If Texas doesn't have to do that, that just gives them the room to – just bolster this roster in many ways so those are some of the highlights again go out and check it out you know we get into trey owns as well and and overall you know quarterback room again texas had the luxury of getting guys like charles Wright as a preferred walk-on who have you know some some lineage and ties to the program where three-star guys 24 7 three-star guys that just only helps with the deaf as well they have another one of course in cole lord who is, is a preferred walk-on I believe his grandfather if memory so me correct was a longhorn so you know another three-star guy who, who you know, could could be like Charles Wright and go get a, a scholarship at App State if he wanted to. But, you know, it's here at Texas. So go check it out. Uh, be part of a series. We're going to do that uh, for every position on on the roster. Yeah, I
0: mean, you got to have the quarterback. you got to have the quarterback. I mean, for Texas, it uh, you look at their national championships with Vince Young and Cole McCoy, two guys whose names are up in the stadium. Uh, Quinn Ewers, it was really important to him to win a Big 12 championship. Um, I wrote about that extensively in the insider last year. He doesn't say a lot, but he's got a lot, you know, we compared him to an iceberg. You see a little bit on the surface, but there's a whole lot underneath uh, with Quinn Ewers, And he, it was important for him to win a big 12 championship and uh, for him to come back and, and obviously he trusted Steve, Steve Sarkisian that he was going to bring in a room full of receivers, which he has, uh, Matthew golden from Houston, Isaiah bond from Alabama, Silas Bolden, um, who will be here in the summer from Oregon state. In addition to, uh, cook and Deandre Moore and Ryan Niblett, who return, uh, Amari Nye Black coming in from Alabama at tight end, a stretch the field guy, similar to JT Sanders. Um, You know Quinn Ewers is now leading this team. When he got here from Ohio State, he was trying to get to know his teammates. Now he's running the show, and he's comfortable with it. He knows he knows that the NFL is a business. I think that's why he said, "You know what? I'm going to take my time here and get everything I can out of my college experience, and and then when I'm ready, not when everyone says I'm ready." I'm gonna to go to the NFL, and I, I I've I've been really impressed with Quinn Ewers. I mean, I know he came in with the mullet and took some pictures with fancy cars when he got here, um, but to take on the challenge that he did last year, of you know not only remaking his his body and cutting his hair and his beard and all that, but he apologized basically to Texas fans during the spring saying, you know, I let, I let you down in, in 2022. And I mean, he didn't have to say that, that that's a guy who is self-aware, who's accountable. Um, Arch Manning, everyone can't wait. You know, I couldn't wait when he came in for garbage time and what completed one pass and ran around, Eric, it, it was the loudest. Shit, really quick. Really cool. You know, it was funny. It
1: was funny as as I was writing that up, right? You know, I'm inserting the stats for both guys. And I was like, man, wait a minute. Arch only threw five passes? Because in my head, after everything we went through, I was like, and I'm like, nah, but he had that run, right? Because we heard about Arch hitting 20 miles. Yeah, he had that. Wait, hold hold on. He only ran once for seven yards.
0: Like, it just, (laughs) in your head, it seems like. It's like John Henry. It's like, what? what? I thought it was so much bigger than that, you know? But. It is. It's it's crazy the 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 uh hype and hysteria that comes with the Manning name. But I that's another thing about Quinn that I like. He handled that. He handled that. He went out, did his thing all year, was happy when Arch got in. Never had this, oh, I'm looking over my shoulder. Uh, you know, Quinn has a lot of self belief and and I think Arch Manning is is benefiting from that. And I agree. I think it's an absolutely loaded quarterback room. Um, You know, Oregon brought in Dylan Gabriel and the quarterback from UCLA. I'm hearing it's going to be Dylan Gabriel this year, and then they'll hand it off. But it's nice to have depth. You know, Arch Manning is now one play away, and I think Texas fans will blindly feel good about that, even though, what, Arch completed – Two passes two passes and uh, and ran around a little bit last year. so and Trey Owens, I mentioned this in the insider, um, you know he's come in with a really strong comp- competitive mindset. you know he's just doing his thing, and that's what you would expect of a quarterback coming in to Texas. He's not in awe of Arch. he's not in awe of Quinn. he's he's competing and and that's what you need and so um you know trey owens joins that room and um and it's going to be it's gonna be fun to watch how these guys progress because look all the love that texas is getting as they head into the sec people are talking about you know every you know we just got that college football playoff format the five seven format um every projection i've seen has texas in the playoff next year so but I think that's how Quinn Ewers wants it. That's what Quinn Ewers expects. So, yeah, exciting times for Texas fans. Savor, savor this, because you've had some great quarterback rooms in the past. You know, Vince Young and Colt McCoy were in the room together. Um, Shane Bouchel and Sam Ellinger were in the room together. So, um, this is, this is taking it uh, up a notch and. Uh, Really exciting times for Texas football. Um, All right, Eric, we've got uh, Texas basketball. Texas basketball, you know, it wasn't a win over a top 10 team. It was a win they had to get against Kansas State. Kansas State came in with a very similar record to Texas, same record in conference play, and K-State has, you know, wins over Kansas and Baylor um but they also have a net ranking of 81 texas has a net ranking of 33 um the net rankings are something the t- tournament selection committee looks at so texas could not afford to lose to k state it wasn't pretty it was a grinded out 62-56 win against a k state team that just isn't they don't seem very connected eric um and they sure made some questionable plays down the stretch including the flagrant foul on kendall weaver uh right as the game was you know within striking distance for for k-state uh but texas at home which has been a weird place for them this year at one point they were one and four in home games in big 12 play they get it done dylan to leads the way yeah chip real quick before i get to texas
1: i just want to piggyback off your point on Kansas State chip uh talk about you know their disconnection but post game you know obviously they're a team that's fighting for NCAA tournament life and, and they're trying to get in chip they're players that they brought post game forgive me I'm forgetting which shoe they brought but y- you could sense the frustration almost a point of tears when Jerome tang mentioned we're just trying to find ways to win and it's frustrating that we're not getting wins I mean so that just stood out to me is that clearly like that's a team that's just very much pressing, and 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 you almost feel for those kids, just these just despondent looks on their faces post game. But Kansas State's misfortune are the Horns' fortunes, right? So to talk about it, I, mean, I guess the really stand out things: Dylan leads the team and scoring for the fourth game, four straight game, twenty points. As you talk about, nothing came easy for both teams, and I would love to sit here and tell you that this was great defense, but you know, Texas made defensive plays when it mattered. And Kansas State showed some stretches of, of good defense. This was a matter of both teams just weren't hitting shots, especially in the first half. Both teams shot under 35% from the field. I think for the game, both teams shot under 20% from three. And this was a matter of who was going to make enough plays at the end. Again, you know, getting Dylan for pr- offensive production and, you know, at the free throw line, it, it looks like when the game possibly could slip away, Dylan Mitchell misses two. Kendall Weaver. Misses two, four straight free throws for the Horns that really would have iced the game with under 90 seconds left. They missed those stretch. And then, you know, Kansas State isn't able to to capitalize on that. Arthur Kaluma misses a layup. So they get Dylan Dassault on the line. And the veteran, the guy who chipped post game said, listen, we're treating every game like it's an NCAA tournament game. We're looking at it like it's a knockout. If we lose, we're knocked out, right? It's on the veteran who steps up, knocks down two free throws and gets them the win so really will be interesting as you you know kind of you said i'll i'll you know, emphasize your point yeah this was a game they couldn't lose right uh, you take a look at the ken palm standings that has texas projected to finish at 19 and 12 8 and 10 in conference play uh, the wins they have them getting are against oklahoma state and texas tech they have excuse me um against oklahoma state and and oklahoma they have them losing to texas tech Uh, Kansas state and Baylor. Right. So that gets them to eight and 10. And like I've said, and we'll talk about it, you know, the the later part of this podcast and take it or leave it, but just recent history, Iowa state, 2021, Mississippi state, 2022, more specific. I mean, the the Mississippi state example, when you get drubbed by 39 points in your opening round uh, of your conference tournament, and you're a seven and 10 team in conference play, and you still make the tournament that goes to show that whatever league that the, the, the selection committee deems to be the best league in college basketball, if you're an 8-9 team league, being sub-500 isn't necessarily going to knock you, right? Even Jerome Tang said post-game that he believes this is a 9-team league as well. So we'll see where that takes the Longhorns. They had to Kansas, and Chip, this isn't a Kansas team that's, you know, world beaters, number one. They've, they've lost to UCF and shown moments of being beatable. So we will see, you know, again, is it going to take a much better shooting performance and then the horns had the other night absolutely but if they can rally into one of those games like they had the second half against houston you know the first matchup or or the the baylor game right and really and, and this is team has played well on the road you give them that right so if they can kind of just muster together one of those games where they reached kind of the the highest potential of what you think this team could be maybe they pull off a win but even if they don't I really look at again those Texas the Texas Tech game, the Oklahoma State game, Oklahoma being key. They can get those and then even it's even a, a win in, in the Big Twelve tournament, they're in. And maybe if they can do all those things, that takes them from being, you know, a a 10-11 seed maybe a nine or eight, if that
0: yeah, yeah. And that's you know, look, life is tough. Once you get down in the eight, nine, ten, eleven, it's tough because even if you win the eight, nine, you're facing a one. But let's be honest. Um, And you wrote about this. They need other players to step up. It's been all Dylan DeZue and Max Ace with some Kendall Weaver energy and defense thrown in, but Tyrese Hunter, Dylan Mitchell, it's up one game down the next, and you kind of don't know what you're, you're going to get. There was a, wide open three for Tyrese Hunter in that Kansas State game where they swung the ball beautifully. He was all alone on the left side of the arc and missed. And, you know, he came alive in the NCAA tournament last year, had some huge threes against Xavier. Um, The game that Dylan DeZue went out of uh, with the the foot injury, actually he suffered that foot injury in practice. He tried to play for two minutes against Xavier, couldn't couldn't get up and down the floor. But you know, Tyrese Hunter is capable. He was capable for Iowa State. So you keep hoping, thinking that his confidence will come in full bloom. I loved his fight. He played great defense in the K State yep. game. You know, he and Asimus did a pretty good job on on Carter and. um uh, Prior or uh, Medea, Tyler Perry, um, you know, and and the intensity's there. Hell, he stood up for Kendall Weaver. Looked like you know Tyrese Hunter was ready to throw blows after that flagrant foul. You like that? He's he's a tough kid, and you just want to see him reach his potential because we've seen it. We know what he's capable of. So Dylan Mitchell, it's like wide open 10-footer, wide open 12-footer, they leave him alone. They they, they they want him to shoot. And this is a guy who, what, hit 22 balls out of 25 out of the rack at the combine last summer. I don't get it. He He had a turnaround baseline jumper in that orange-white game that I was like, oh, okay, all right, Dylan Mitchell's. And he's got that little hook shot. Again, it's like just keep adding. Don't go back. It's it's like walking in the sand. You know, one step forward, uh, we lose a half a step. And and they really desperately need um, those guys. Brock Cunningham. You know, when he comes in to give him a little boost. It Horton played well in this in this game against Kansas State. It Horton. Yeah, the
1: the two threes. I'm getting luffy back. The two threes that It Horton hit like uh, in that game. The most points he's had since he scored 20 against UCF.
0: Well, and Eric, I've noticed about IT Horton. That's when you want him. You want him mid-game. You want him because his shot does not get better at crunch time. So when he started missing threes, RT took him out. And Kendall Weaver came back in for the defense in the final four minutes. That got them against Central Florida. Because if you go back and look, IT Horton's started missing shots down the stretch, and they might have been able to hang on to that 16-point lead if they had brought Kendall Weaver in to, you know, play some D. Now, they all got to work on their free throw shooting because that's going to get them. I mean, that's going to get them. So, um, yeah, interesting, interesting game. And as you mentioned, they go to Kansas this Saturday. Kansas has been unbelievable at home and vulnerable on the road because they're not very deep they're they're not very deep at all it seems like bill self's trusting about six maybe seven players rt uh ronnie terry's trusting eight players i mean this is going to be a battle of maybe a battle of attrition but um yeah big game for texas and then they will turn right around and um play baylor on monday is that right are we already to that i think it uh, I think it's Texas Tech after. Texas Tech. Yeah, yeah. Tuesday. Okay, Texas Tech on Tuesday. And good heavens, we know Lubbock. Have those people gotten over Chris Beard yet? Like, Chris Beard, do they know he's at Ole Miss now? Because, Eric, when I went out there for the Beard reunion, I thought the whole city was going to come apart. It felt like the whole city was surrounding the Texas team bus and then they all couldn't wait to get into supermarket's arena or whatever they call that place and throw f bombs at Chris Beard. I mean, it was f you beard. I mean, like 20,000 people yelling it. So Woo! I'll I'll, uh, I'll be making the trip out to Lubbock. So we shall see
1: how the uh the Red Raiders want to send off the Longhorns in the final Big 12 matchup.
0: So yeah. That was uh that was intense, to say the least. All right, Texas women's hoops real quick before we get to take it or leave it. Texas women's hoops. they won six in a row. Um, they're playing Texas Tech tonight. But, Eric, um, wow, what a you know credit to Vic Schaefer, credit to Madison Booker, uh, credit to this whole team for sticking together, remaking themselves after losing Rory Harmon uh, to the season-ending knee injury on December 27th. You know, I was looking back at it when they beat UConn and ascended to number five in uh, in early December. Rory Harmon had twenty-seven points, thirteen assists in that game, five rebounds, and you, in in a steal. And you realize, gosh, she really was that good. You know, um, she goes down. Uh, Vic Schaefer yesterday likened it to his team having a major heart attack and needing quadruple bypass. And now they've had quadruple bypass with Madison Booker settling in now leading the team in scoring 15.9 points, but she's averaging 20 over, you know, the last four games. And she is so comfortable just with that pull-up jumper. What a talent. I mean, everybody's talking about her as a freshman, all American. Um, and then you've got good post players and Taylor Jones and Aaliyah Moore. And now Deanna Gaston is, is getting back after the ankle injury. And if they can get Shaley Gonzalez to hit her, you know, get that stroke back. She's got such a, you know, great outside shot. It's been up and down. She did have a good game in their last, uh, in their last win. Um, maybe she's snapped out of it because she was in a six game rut there, but This team's starting to put it together. They play Texas Tech. Um, They've got Central Florida, your Central Florida Knights on the road. And then the rematch with the Oklahoma Sooners, who it's so weird, Eric. They've been in first place in the Big 12 seemingly all year, and they're only number 23 in the rankings. Kind of weird, but, um, you know, Oklahoma – that's the that's the game that uh, the Texas players are going to want for sure because that was the game they lost at home and Vic Schaefer woke them up at you know before sunrise and had them practicing their brains out uh, the next morning and that was the last game they've lost so um, what a turnaround and and now they're projected as a two seed Eric behind number one South Carolina. Number two, Ohio State; number three, Stanford; and number four, Iowa, with of course Caitlin Clark. So, hold on to your seats, kids. That Texas women's basketball team is uh, is worth the price of admission. Eric, you ready for some take it or leave it? No
1: doubt about it, Chip. I am ready for some take it or leave it. All right, let's do it. We'll be right back
0: here on the flagship podcast. And if you're watching us on the Horns 24/7 YouTube channel, we will roll on into some take it or leave it, Eric. All right, I'm going first here. The position you have the biggest question mark heading into spring football is receiver. Take it or leave it. Oh man, this one was it
1: was tough because I wanted to go with receiver, but listen. And I wrote about this in the offseason uh, about a month and a half ago. The reason I'm leaving it, Chip, and the reason I'm going with defensive tackle, we've talked about it a bit on this podcast, just the level of play of Sweat and Murphy. It's not that we don't expect that AC, Vernon Broughton, Tia Savea, you know, the young guys, Bledsoe, Sadera Mitchell, Zach Swanson, Aaron Bryant. It's not that we think those guys won't be good, right? But we just can't take for granted. I'm it. It would not be overkill chip if I made this point every week until the opening week of the season. How good a Sweat and Murphy were. Can those guys, at least as a whole collective, reach some measure of that play? Not as one guy, not as two guys, but as a whole room. That to me is the biggest question mark with receiver. I talk about writing about this early in the offseason. I love the positionless aspect of getting. Matthew Golden, Isaiah Bond, Silas Golden—the way they all can be bolded. See, I told you, I, I, it's a mental block, man. Got ah, get—I have got to get—I've got, get got to get that fixed before the season starts. Nevertheless, the way that those guys can be moved around the offense in terms of different positions, slot, outside, etc. I'm really high on this receiver room, and that's not even getting into Chante Cook and, and
0: Niblet and, and those guys as well. So, I'm leaving a chip. What about you? Yeah, I'm I'm gonna leave it as well. I'm I'm with you on the defensive tackle position because it it Steve Sarkeesian said it himself. I, I was listening back to his his press conference on the February signing period, and he said, How many times do you get a tackle tandem like Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy? And if you're Georgia, you get it uh, you know, you had it for two straight national championship seasons. Um, but it is rare. And look, I will contend. Yeah. The quarterback position is important, but it's not as important as having the two difference making interior defensive linemen. Um, you got to have those guys to be able to make teams one dimensional on offense. And, um huge opportunity for Alfred Collins and Vernon Broughton, but we haven't seen the level of domination um, that that we saw with with sweat and Murphy. so um it's it's a tall task. There are players there. um My second choice probably would be safety just to see you know, we mentioned last week that Andrew Makuba has only recently gotten into the winter conditioning. Um, So that, that chemistry in the secondary, because the communication has to be so good. You and I were there when, you know, Jody Barron was talking about how, you know, he would talk to to Jaron Thompson and say, Hey, be looking for this. And then Thompson would say, Hey, make sure you tell Taff and, you know, Keaton Crawford and Derek Williams, the same thing. And Baron's like, Oh yeah, I got to communicate with four guys. They, they need to get that cohesion together. And I think, I think Makuba is a really good cover safety, which helps. Um, I don't think he's afraid to throw his body around. Derek Williams is coming. Michael Taff is solid. Coaches trust him. And then, you know, we'll see how a guy like Xavier Filsimi who I continue to hear good things about in winter conditioning, that he's all business and is, is about that life. So let's, uh, let's see what they've got. But that was a, that was a vulnerable spot for, for Texas last year. Teams went after uh, the safety position. Okay. Take it or leave it, number two.
1: All right, updated because we probably will ask this question each each week up until the, right into the regular season. As of now, you uh, think Texas men's, of course, makes the NCAA tournament.
0: CB, take it or leave it. Yeah, this has become a running joke here on the show. Um, but the good news is that I still think Texas um, is, as of now, um, I think they'll make the NCAA tournament. Now they've got, they got to take care of business. They got to win on their home floor. They got to, they got to win against Oklahoma state. Don't spit the bit on that. And then um, they got to beat OU in Austin. If they do those two things, I think they're in. If they steal one of the road games against tech Baylor, Kansas, man, then we're, we're t- we're the Jeffersons. We're moving on up. So, um, but as of right now, Eric, I'm going to take this. How about you?
1: I'm still taking it. As much as I want to buy the you know the idea that Texas can steal a road game, most specifically that Texas Tech game that I'll be out in Lubbock. Still can't feel wholly confident in that. But even if they don't, like I said, I still think you go, you get to eight and 10 in conference and you take a look at recent history of these teams, whatever league is considered the strongest league in college basketball at that te- at that least going to get eight, nine teams. in. I think Texas has shown uh, enough in my mind, should all those things come together, the Texas will have shown enough and they make the NCAA tournament, but again, visit us next week and we'll see what we have to say after that.
0: It's a week to week proposition with, uh, with this year's uh, Texas basketball team. All right, take it or leave it. Number three, the uh, women. Right. Am were, I throwing to you? No, no, sorry, that I, I I jumped the gun. I jumped the gun. That's all. Okay. For it. So, Eric, Texas women's basketball. We mentioned, despite losing Rory Harmon, they've won uh, six in a row going into this game against Texas Tech tonight. Um, they're twenty four and three. They have reclaimed their season high ranking of number five. Um. The Texas women's basketball team, their final four contenders. Take it or leave it.
1: I am taking it, Chip. One player who we didn't mention in our earlier rundown of the women is Shay Holly, who you know, Vic Schaefer and company. This can't be raved more enough, you know, highly enough about her her impact on this team and 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 kind of the intangible she brings and. This has been, Chip, in my mind, you talked about it, the way they've rallied around Rory Harmon's injury and, and been able to come together and regain their number five ranking. Listen, and in the, this is the biggest thing in my mind. I'm definitely curious to get your take on how you feel about this. South Carolina has definitely become the new UConn you know, in women's basketball, but I'm going to make two points in one. A, any year that you don't have that UConn-like team that seems so unbeatable, the field is wide open, and B, I take a look at South Carolina, Don Staley's club. Now, listen, I, I, you got to love Don I love everything about Don Staley as a coach, but they've been pushed twice. Georgia pushed them. Now, granted, the, the final score of those games ended up being double-digit wins. They were pushed against Georgia. I believe they were pushed. I'm forgetting who the, the uh, opponent was prior, who uh, Tennessee, Tennessee had them upset and minded as, as well. Um, so they're not unbeatable, you know? It, certainly, are they the top team in the nation? Yes, but this is not that UConn, unbeatable, you know, like team. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, I I, I'm, I'm really
0: optimistic about Vic Schaefer's club being final four contenders. Yeah. Yeah. South Carolina, Camilla Cardoso. If you have not seen her play six foot seven and skilled, I mean, you know, 14 points, 10 rebounds per game. Uh, She'll remind big 12 fans of Ioka Lee at Kansas state. Um, when you have that skilled six-seven player in the women's game, you are you're you've got an advantage. But um, Texas with Taylor Jones, Aaliyah Moore, Deanna Gaston, Deanna Gaston is a key for this team. She has got to get back to being that athletic, you know, make plays around the basket, uh, steal possessions player for Texas because she's the most athletic of the bigs outside of Amina Muhammad Um, who I love Amina's game. I just wish she would be a little more patient around the rim. She rushes her her shots a little bit, but this team seems to believe and they still have work to do. There's no question. But I'm gonna I'm gonna take this as well, Eric, because Vic Schaefer in the NCAA tournament. I know they had the hiccup at home last year against Louisville. Um, but you know, elite eight, his first two years, um, the first year was with a team that was a six seed. So, um, I never count out Vic Schaefer. So I will take this as well. And, uh, and we will not ever take our audience for granted. Thanks so much for, uh, spending some time with us here on the flagship podcast. Um, make sure you like, and subscribe to the channel. And, uh, if you're listening to us on some other platform, uh, please feel free to give us a a five-star rating and a, in a review, positive review. It'd be nice. We'd appreciate it. Uh, make us a favorite so that you don't ever miss an episode of the flagship podcast for Eric Henry. I am chip Brown until next time. We'll see you over at horns, 247com stay safe and keep the faith.